1: Today, I'll be speaking to the one and only Hugh Hendry about the relationship that he sees between gold, silver, and real rates. Then I'll be speaking to Weston Nakamura about some dislocations that he's seeing in the VIX futures markets. But first, I'm going to be speaking to Real Vision's own Max Weithy about the stories of the day. Max, welcome to the daily briefing. How are
2: you doing? Doing well. I know uh, we've got other people coming up, so we're going to keep it short and sweet. Yeah, this is going to be
1: a lightning round with you. Um, so. Buffett, uh, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway recently filed
2: their 13F. Um, that was yesterday, I believe. What can you tell us about that, Max? Well, I mean, the big one for me was, you know, the the dropping of Barrick Gold. Obviously, gold is down today, and and Barrick leaving uh, was or Barrick being added to their portfolio was touted as this, you know, evidence that Warren Buffett like loves gold or you know is starting to get gold. One, like the size, like Buffett doesn't make purchases of that size if. You know, Buffett makes the big, huge, you know, multi-billion dollar um, purchases. So I don't think Buffett had anything to do with that purchase in the first place. But it, it's the way that, you know, narratives are spun. Like, I think it's just uh, another great example of like being cautious. You should be cautious about narratives and remember who's saying things and why they're saying them, uh, because I, I that didn't pass the smell test for me um, originally. And yeah, so, I mean, that's the big one. Um, I think they added some Verizon, which they had trimmed earlier in the year, so a little bit of a, a reaffirmation of, of that bet. But you know, that was the main one I was I was watching. Look like they they cut some financials. They added one um, insurance company, uh, but you know, cut yeah. some of their other financial uh, holdings there.
1: Yep, I believe they exited J.P. Morgan entirely, which is significant. They had trimmed it earlier, and they also cut their Apple stake. Although that's not as significant as the headline sounds, people say, "Oh, he sold Apple." But really they're just trimming their
2: position because they still own about 120 billion dollars worth of it. Yeah, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about when I say like narratives. Like it's a great narrative to say like Warren Buffett like sold his Apple, but like 120 billion. That's, you know, still pretty confident there in in Apple's future. So, you know, I would just tell everybody to be cautious about these sorts of Headlines and narratives because uh, often there's a reason, whether it's clicks, whether it's supporting your own positioning or your portfolio, if it's coming from, you know, say a, a gold bug. Um, it's just remember why you're hearing it, who you're hearing it from.
1: Yeah, as always, do your own research, folks. Uh, let's move on to the next story, which is the storms that have engulfed uh, much of the, the middle of the United States, particularly Texas, forcing. Uh, rolling lockdowns on the state. Uh, Max, what can you tell us about that, as well as the energy uh, implications uh, that, that are perhaps behind it?
2: Look, I mean, as far as you know, boots on the ground. I, I'm probably not the, the right person to tell you exactly what's happening in Texas. I know we have a you know a team slowly growing in Dallas, and um, I'm sure they they could tell you horror stories about what's going on there. Um, and then obviously some people in Austin too. We've had to cancel interviews. Um, you know, we we hope to have some some interviews with some people who are based in Texas this week that that has we've had to cancel. So, you know, it has certainly affected us. But really, in terms of what I'm taking away from it is more more big picture stuff, which is, you know, I talked to Sean Hackett earlier this year, who was talking about a bullish view on commodities. A lot of people have been bullish on commodities. It's been because of inflation um and inflationary concerns. He has a completely different take, which is that there are supply disruptions, and obviously supply is determined by, you know, the the crop production, which is largely driven by by weather. Um, and, and he was saying, we're going to have a cold winter, we're going to have extreme weather volatility, and that's going to be bad for crops. So uh, at least though, so far, that seems to be um, working up. But again, it comes back to that narrative s- stuff that I was talking about earlier, which is you know the narrative and what's happening and are not always tied together. Um, but then thinking more long term, like- uh, uh, not a little bit. I mean, this is drastic cold weather and serious. But you know, we're supposedly going to electrify the entire. You know, everybody's going to have electric cars. How much electricity is that going to add to the grid? And and look what you know this this weather um, has done to to the grid in Texas and and the inability to to produce enough power there. Um, you know, I'm sure Adam Rodman is pacing back and forth in Dallas in the cold, saying, I, "If only they had listened to me. You know, nuclear fixes this." So just thinking about this as an example of longer term trends that you know electrification and uh, commodities like copper that are going to be needed you know there's just another data point evidence that we're not even close to where we need to be in terms of having the grid ready for all the electrification that is supposedly coming uh, in the future
1: definitely and with regards to uh, facts mattering more than narratives there's been a lot of narratives being bandied about about oh this is uh, uh, solar's fault. This is wind's fault. Oh no! Actually, it's natural gas's fault. I think the reality is just the grid is not uh, built for the, for such extreme weather. Um, and I'd also add uh, that a lot of people uh, see that we've seen enormous price increases in oil and natural gas, and they say that that's inflation. When it obviously is from uh, exogenous events, such as you know, like uh, a storm is not going to be here for five years, and that that shouldn't affect the five-year break-even. Uh, Inflation rate, Um, and yet you hear some people saying it does. But just to give a little facts to this story, um, the the Texas power grid generally uh, was requiring about excuse me, 70 gigawatts. Um, 42 of those gigawatts were offline as a result of the Arctic frost, Um, and also as a result, about 40% of U.S. oil production is now offline. And you see the WTI surging uh, well beyond 60 into about uh, $61.50 now. So you are seeing how, how, how that story is, effecti- is excuse
2: me, is affecting prices uh, in the real time? Yeah, and I would say less the story affecting prices, but you know that's an actual yeah. uh, supply disruption there. And yeah, I mean, natural gas, uh, Sean, in the previous interview I mentioned with Sean Hackett. He was extremely bullish on natural gas because of this hard winter. Um, I don't think he was expecting something you know this extreme, uh, but you know th- it, it really matters in physical commodities. It's a, it's a supply and demand story.
1: Absolutely. Um, Max, switching gears again, uh, the GameStop hearings uh, commenced today, uh, the congressional hearings in DC. What do you make of those?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody highlighted you know, how humorous it was that, um, what's his name, you know, Roaring Kitty uh, used the phrase, you know, in short, I like the stock. Which people say you know that's that's all the cover you need on say the sell side to be able to um, to be able to justify your shameless pumping of a stock because you want to get you know their next capital raise uh, through your investment banking arm, um, whatever it may be, and. Look, that's all well and good. Like it's it's super funny um, that that he's able to do that. But uh, I would like the conversation maybe to shift into the idea that you know that's all it takes to defend shameless pumping. Like we need to the conversation needs to shift to like this has exposed you know broken aspects of the system. But um, I I want it to shift from you know sticking it to the man to reforming the broken system. Um, And I've had a little bit enough of the stick it to the man stuff that that's happening there. And then as well, you know, GameStop uh, or I mean, uh, Robinhood came out and they said that they they did not, um, you know, favor hedge funds over their clients. I think that that is true. Uh, Again, narratives really got away from themselves here in this, and and it it has lasting effects and oftentimes you know negative effects uh, for for people who who cling to those narratives.
1: Very interesting, Max. I have some things uh, to say about that, but we're gonna have to move on to Hugh Henry now. Thanks again, Max. Thanks, Jack.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. Hugh,
1: welcome back to Real Vision. It's great to have you.
3: It, it feels like just the day. I was talking <laughs> The other day I was talking to Raúl. Great to be back.
1: Yeah, you had a conversation with Raúl uh, about Bitcoin on Twitter Live. Uh, that got uh, pretty intense. Now this is going to be a little bit more of a, a mellow chat, just talking macro as well as to uh, talk about a new project that you've been working on. So, Hugh, I just want to ask the ultimate question for macro investors, which is, how are you feeling about rates? You know, when you came on with RAL in, in April of last year, uh, rates were gyrating all over the place. The the 30-year was very low. They were, they were reaching, you know, uh, record lows. Now, uh, rates have continued to increase. I know... Um, so you've been looking at uh, TLT. So how are you thinking about uh, rates and how is the rising affecting risk assets?
3: Okay, so like you said, the the last time um, rates were on, on on their ass, were on about 50 or 60 basis points. Um, much has changed, much hasn't changed, but certainly those rates, what, where are those rates now, 1.3 or so? Yep, um, yep. Now, there's, that has implications clearly for, for almost every asset class. Um, in the absence, and it has been the absence of, of inflation for, you know, uh, the much anticipated um, inflation of the last 10, 15, 20 years. Um, gold has kind of moved kind of in lockstep in terms of and has gained. Do I want to see a convexity or an optionality to the notion of the situation spiraling kind of out of control and, and into the notions of, of deflation, um, which is to say lower bond yields have been um, have been good. Uh, for gold and gold has kind of moved as real rates taking you know, long rates and then um, accounting for expected inflation uh, have been pushed to to historic whites historic negative whites um So what is changing? Um, Jai, what was for you um what was the most important um, macro event of the last week or so? And I won't give you time to answer that because I put a stopwatch for all of, the, of those of you who insist that I'm verbose. You're probably right. Oh, wow.
1: The, the interviewee me. has become the interviewer. Um, <laughs> I know there, there was a retail uh, sales number out today at 5.3%. Uh, that was important, but by your uh, groaning, I gather not. Um
3: so unimportant, unimportant. <laughs>
1: uh, Hugh, uh, could, I, could I turn the issue back on you? What, what do you think?
3: Yeah. So, I have no idea. But the thing that made me kind of sit up and think was the report, the annual, annual results from L'Oreal, the cosmetics company, last week, uh, who claimed that we're all set, almost a bit like the the Prince song, we're all set to party like it's 1999, albeit they referred us back to 1919, which is kind of cute because, of course, that was putting uh, the, the back of the, the the last awful virus, major pandemic virus. Clearly, much more severe in its fatalities. But um the the record, the precedent, and I'm a precedent person. And from back then, from time gone past, people party, People kind of, there was just a pent-up release. Um, and people, and I'm seeing that. I, I live in a kind of party place. I live in a, a grown-up Disneyland, a fantasy place. And people when they get here, they just want to let it rip. And I can see it in my my reservations calendar. So I kind of think. What do i think i'm gonna i'm gonna share my screen god forbid if, you, if we pick up some porn or whatever but um it, it was clearly not me it was my son or whatever um and i'm trying to find good old bar charts dot, dot com. there we go this is simplistic but you know this is going back to about 2010 or so and it's the long term positive chart in the etf for the long bond and just you know you in a bull market, you'd be looking for retracements. You'd be kind of looking to buy it, maybe right about there, and it's kind of not capturing it. And I'd probably come back to here, this this level, whatever it is, hundred and thirty. Let's say we tried a breakout back in fourteen fifteen. We failed. We tried another breakout. We failed, and then you know the real thing with with the pandemic in front of us. Boom! You know the thing moved. Um, so back here, I get a rational bull of of. of Someone who was fearful of deflation would be thinking "I could pick up treasuries. But with that L'Oreal statement, and, and with we're going to kind of put layers of makeup, we're really, really going to party. I'm beginning to think now that it's going to come to a level, I don't think 120, 120 would be too easy. It's going to get to a level where classic bull markets have to kick all the believers. You know, I keep going back to the disciples in the garden of, of whatever it was, and like, hey, the centurions are saying it. You know, this guy, Jesus, the guy with the beard and like never, never heard of him, you know, and I think we're going to have one of those God of God, whatever it's called moments, we should say it could probably trade in that kind of 100, 110 area. Now, clearly that is idle speculation on my part, but I like to believe that I like to create notions of drama and then kind of ask myself how I would think. So I think it's going to be really, I think the economy is going to boom, I think, uh, those long rates are going to be under enormous pressure. I don't believe that bull market is over, but I believe people will be led to believe it's over. So that's my thought experiment, if you will.
1: Okay, so interesting. You think short-term or maybe near-term there could be some pain in the treasury market, uh, Hugh? I'm just thinking it's sort of the, over the last ten, the last decade, uh, where we've had strong economic growth and low deflation. What you wanted to own? Was bonds, and you wanted to own tech. I see that both neither of these two assets will perform well in your new party uh, reflationary world. So you want to own the cyclicals, your cruise liners, your your uh, you know your energy services. What else is in the is in the Hugh Henry portfolio according to this thesis that you just laid out?
3: Well, there's nothing in the in the fantasy portfolio because all of my um, activities are centered on the island. Um, so, and I think it's worthwhile, you know, making that that. Very, very transparent, but it it is the the, the mining complex. It's the commodity complex, um, and and for that that extends actually to Bitcoin, and which is to say, the assets that in the last four months have just been like a skyrocket, and, and it's a profoundly difficult and compromising position today because you know uh, Raul was kept calling me a mean reversion guy, like you know he's like this funky S curve guy, I'm just this boring mm-hmm. mean reversion guy, but you know. Uh, so, so it may be, um, my compromise, so I think the, the movement has been so stark in the last, especially the last three months, that I don't really want to commit everything. So again, let me push back. If normally I had 100% equity allocation, um, then I would, today would be somewhere like a third of that, given where, given risks, et cetera, given valuations, et cetera. So of that start, so let's say I had a hundred million dollar portfolio. I want to put thirty-five million dollars to work, okay? Um, but today, actually, I'd only be putting probably about fifteen million dollars. So I'm trying to flesh, flesh this out, um, and I would I'd have positions in mining stocks, and you know, be out there talking about uh, uranium and silver. Gold is is gold is really really tricky. So I we have this thing called Bitcoin. To to come back and quote from Bono and you two, Bitcoin is like a thief. In the night, see the world by candlelight. Um, and it's, it's robbing, and it's robbing someone, and it's robbing gold. Um, like I said to you, gold has historically, this recent history has moved in lockstep with real rates. Real rates had a bit of a gyration in the last yeah. four months. Um, where real rates are today, I think gold should be trading at around about 1950 or so. It's not, it's trading about 10, 100, 150 less than that. If you were to put that into the capitalization, there's a lot of focus today on the size of the gold market and the size, the comparative small size of Bitcoin. So gold, I think, is $13 trillion, and Bitcoin is more is closer to $1 trillion. But I want to say the the movement in Bitcoin has been a uh, the movement is akin has basically gold's not trading at 1950 because all of that money i want to allege has gone in to bitcoin mm-hmm. now people are hearing me with oh and some of my comments they think i'm i'm i would be short for choice no i wouldn't I'm yeah what things which are powerfully exploding higher um i would be long but again it'd be long in terms of if i wanted to have a 100 million dollars I'd maybe have 15, 20 million dollars. I'd want the capacity to be able to buy this if volatility moves both ways. So I hope I'm not confusing you about that. No, when I'm
1: here. You're, you're making perfect sense to me. So let's say that's your $100 million portfolio. Obviously, when you're working with a portfolio of that size, you're really aiming to protect that wealth. Someone like me, who's, let's say, trying to be a little bit more of an entrepreneurial investor, a little bit more of a hustler, take a little bit more risk. Um, is it calls on those gold miners? You know what's what's the play there?
3: Oh, I mean, hey, listen, with um, with junior uh, mining <laughs> stocks, you you're all you're buying is convexity. You don't need uh, call options on top. I mean, things like Denilison, um in the uranium sector. I think that went up fifty-five times in the last bull market. So y- you don't. And when when I was talking. Hundred million or hundred X, hundred apples, whatever. I wasn't talking about my portfolio. I was talking about a hustling type portfolio, a portfolio that wanted to kind of go out there and, and light it up, write its name. You know, um, you know. My 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 thing today is, I, I believe the wisdom is written. It's the graffiti written in the uh, in the subway walls. That's when you're reading my stuff on Twitter. That's kind of what I'm aiming at. Um, and that's what, so the hustler portfolio, I think, I would just urge all you hustlers out there, just the kindest, um we can, we can always see points A to B, and we think, oh, if it goes to B, I'm going to be so rich, but the, the fact is, not many people are rich, as rich as that, and the reason is that the, the journey tends to be, oh, shit, why did that happen? And actually, I've, I've never heard of this guy called Jesus, never.
1: Yeah. Well, Hugh, you mentioned uh, subway and the walls. I think that's a great transition to uh, a, a new project that you've been working on, which is a short film, which we actually are going to air on the Real Vision uh, YouTube channel. Um, it's called Psychotic Cacophony, and uh, you know, Hugh, can you describe what this film is about? And as you talk, we're going to you know include some footage from that project on screen.
3: Wonderful. That's very kind of you, guys and girls of Real Vision. I put it out on my YouTube channel about two months ago and I was such an idiot because it's something that needs an explanation. Um, visually, I think it is quite stunning apart from the sections with me, but um, what I'm trying to convey and I'm trying to convey my life's journey. Um, not that I'm at the end of my life, but I'm kind of at a point where I want to, I want to put it in perspective and celebrate it. And the, the fact is I had the weirdest, weirdest um, uh, childhood necessarily a child but as an adolescent i didn't smoke i didn't drink i didn't do drugs i didn't do girls i didn't do anything except study study was a kind of passport for me to try and kind of escape the chains that i felt were weighing me down i felt that i lived in a gray world and then so the first section is very much that that grayness i mean i looked out my bedroom window and it was just it was unchanging it was gray but my imagination i was kind of had a colorful imagination i could see things and i had the foresight and the wisdom to see a world where i was kind of unchained and elsewhere second section is um, i then got lots of serendipity lots of kind of breaks I like to think you you kind of make some of your good fortune from hard work find myself working in edinburgh find myself working with people uh, impeccable standing impeccable logic gave me a wonderful training but it was just a meeting a clash of cultures if you will and i had this strange sensation whereby I felt by the vibrations of change, but they weren't teaching me how to manage or to um, embrace and, and really make money from them. And the final section is when I met the crazy people, you know, when I, you know, this is, this takes us back 20 years. The I mean, hedge funds were still a kind of an alien concept me when I met with Crispin and he's talking about pirates. and. Um, so, Hugh, and, sorry,
1: like, to interrupt. Uh, Chris Benotti, he was the one who started talking about pirates. It's not you, because I always associated the word pirate with you.
3: Um, I owe so much to Chris Ben. Uh, the, the, the term eclectica comes from Chris He looked at my portfolio. And, you know, back in the day, I owned stocks with the name Plantation. You know, like in the year 2000, trust me, no one owned stocks with the name Plantation, or, or indeed, your junior mining stocks, or owned Soybean Futures. Um, maybe not year 2000, but certainly year 2002, um, my portfolio looked like this curiosity shop from Victorian age. And when we think of, like, the Rolling Stones doing that kind of circus cabaret of lunatics, that was the office sort of body. I mean, we, we you know, uh, we misbehaved, like, big, big time. Like, we misbehaved in terms of the colour and the crazy things that we were willing to believe and invest in. Um, and that's what that final section is all about. That You know, the crazy people taught me to embrace change. And that power allowed me to, to launch the hedge fund and then take it to, to this, what proved to be my summit. I had about a billion and a half under management. Um, but I had be, been forced to to compromise. And, and the pirate had become kind of a Royal Navy s- I was
1: about to bring that up. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I'd become a stiff. It was, it was the best of times, potentially financially, and yet creative, creatively, creatively, it was the worst. So that's kind of, if you will, the, the three sections of my life. But I'm not dead. I'm not. In, I'm intending to live a bit longer, and so I'm invigorated, and I'm here sharing this story. I want to share this story with you because, but I'm now. I live. I live underground. <laughs> my message is very much underground, and it's very much written loud on subway walls. I am the graffiti anti-investor. Now, curiosity is different, but it's different for everyone. For me, it's rock, it's raw. it's peace, it's everything. Perhaps, maybe just as why I talk in extremes. Faith? You mean the, the demons, the voices in my head?
1: We love it here at Real Vision. Hugh, thanks for sharing your journey. Um, we, we, you know, you just saw some uh, of, the, of the of short film on screen to the people at home. But again, it will be uh, on our YouTube channel, and you can check that out. Um, Hugh, so great to have you on Real Vision, as always. Hope to have you back soon to pick your brain on, you know, Bitcoin, gold, silver. Hugh, Hugh, we didn't get to talk about silver. That's I want to get you back and talk about that because you know I was hearing, um, you know, oh, it's the retails, the Wall Street bets pumping up silver from twenty six to twenty nine. I'm saying no, it's not Wall Street bets. It's Hendry. I know.
3: <laughs> it's, it's, and, you, and, and behind me, I got some really talented people. I mean, so this, the things, the analysis that I kind of purported to tell you come from my my old investment uh, partner, uh, Thomas Roderick, who runs a hedge fund now um, out there, a micro hedge fund, and doing very, very well with it. Um, so, um, and the, the last leading shout wouldn't necessarily be silver. It would be owning industrial metals, and, um, but the mining stocks with the whole globalization or reverse globalization, there's a premium today from owning state side or Canadian and US assets. Those are the ones that have got the stronger beta to, to the upside for, for for many other reasons that we could discuss.
1: Mm, um, because of political stability reasons? Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, Hugh, thanks so much. You've been very generous with your time. Um, thanks, and uh, hope back the the I hope to
3: on you back we're doing 15 minutes. 15 minutes. We yeah. Did it. We did it. <laughs> Boom. All right. Dumb. Thanks,
1: Hugh.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's com.
1: Now, with the market plumbing, we're going to go to Weston Nakamura. Weston, how are you doing? Hey, Jack. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. So uh, you made a post in the exchange about uh, some dislocations you saw in the VIX futures markets, the VIX, commonly known as the the fear fear index, which uh, gauges the implied volatility on various options contracts. Um, What was it you noticed? And uh, tell tell us about this. Why is it significant?
4: Sure. Just before before I say that, uh, the VIX is no longer the fear gauge. The VIX is the greed gauge. Um, this was um, this has actually been brought up in real vision before, uh, but because of this call skew, there's basically so many calls being bought. It's no longer measuring fear. It's measuring greed. So when there's when there's S and P up and VIX up, it's not necessary. It just means that's actually just in line with greed. Um, But with regards to my note um, that I posted on the exchange, yeah, so basically last week I said that I noticed that there was a rather huge dislocation between the front month and the second month of uh, VIX. So basically you have, um, you know, VIX futures and the spot fix. The spot fix is like the S&P 500 index. It's not ownable. It's just an index. It's just a number. The futures you can own and trade and the futures more or less they you know they don't deviate from one another too much but there was a massive massive dislocation between the march vix and the february vix which expired today so it was soon to expire and when that happens when you have the second month and the front month spread when that widens out that dictates the direction of S&P so when it, when it's the spread widens S&P goes up when it contracts S&P goes down and so what I noticed was that because of this this huge spread, the February VIX was essentially getting sold down. It was pulling the the spot VIX, what you see as you know the VIX on you know on the corner of the screen or whatever. It was pulling that level down. That was pushing S P S and P up. And then today, when the contracts expire, and March, the next front month, is five you know vol higher. You're going to see a massive spike in VIX, and then you're going to see a potential huge, you know, sharp sell-off in in S and P, or at least you know the end of the the um, all-time highs rallies. So, so that's basically what's, what's What been you're happening. saying? Okay.
1: So, what you're saying is that as uh, these February contracts expire, investors are going to have to either get out of that position or roll them uh, up to a level of the VIX that is higher, and that the the March VIX will now become uh, the spot, and uh, that will be higher. And- and tell, tell us what is the connection? Uh, why, when the VIX increases, why does that uh, mean that the S&P is going to sell off? What's the, what's the plumbing
4: there? Sure. So uh, if you look at the, um, the, the charts, so if you look at this um, March to Feb uh, spread and the VIX index, so basically what you have is um, when there's a spread like that, right, when the, the, the second month minus the immediate front month. When that second month is lower than the um, front month, in other words, when there's less uncertainty two months out than there is in the immediate, that's going to cause for a sell-off. That's why that happens. That's the mechanics behind it. When <clears throat> when that when that spread when the second month minus the front month is negative, that means that the there is more uncertainty in the immediate than there is two months out in the immediate as in you know one month implied out, um, and then vice versa when there is uh, more certainty, like you know, normal life. When there's more certainty in the immediate than there is two months out, um, you get a directional um, upside to the index.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I guess my next question is, where do we go from here? Um, we have the VIX is is likely set to rise. It it is up today. Um, we did see a sell off in the S and P five hundred. Uh, do you expect that to continue? Was this just a one day? Uh, uh, a phenomenon that you expected, or is this uh, something that we can expect from here on?
4: So, um, what I was h- highlighting my note was like an extreme case scenario where you get something like minus thirty-seven dollars per barrel in um, crude, which is the exact same sort of setup. So, around this time last year. Uh, You have USO, which is this oil ETN, which is structured the exact same way. They give oil exposure, they give crude oil exposure to investors by owning the front month and the second month um, uh, crude oil contracts on CME. And what happened was that this this oil ETN uh, USO, they essentially got they they got stuck with so many of these soon to expire um, futures contracts that there was nobody to sell to, and they literally had to sell. At minus 37 um as as they you know at 37 dollars per barrel and that also has to do with because of the fact that they have to take physical delivery there wasn't enough uh oil storage you have to pay to get oil off your hands and all that kind of thing but the same sort of mechanics apply here where that kind of structure and then after that they they now diversified into more than just the only the front two months so i think that if if you go to the um uvx fund flows that's what caught my attention. So UVXY is the largest VIX ETF uh, in the world, and it took in almost $1 billion in AUM in one week alone last week. Um, very, very strange. And if they don't change their structure the same way that USO did, you can very well see a situation in which you just get these huge inflows the week before expiry, just so, like it was you know, coming into this one, but and if UVXY is forced to buy a soon to expire VIX contract, you're going to see more and more dislocations between the front month and the second month contract. That's going to dictate the entire S and P, you know, and the and the U.S. Uh, equity and the, for that matter, the global DM equity uh, index complex. And you're it's just going to be dictated directionally day by day by what what this um, this ETF is doing and what their role activity is. And so what's dangerous is that you could have very well have seen a situation in which you know, if a billion came into UVXY in a day, they'll be forced to buy February futures, uh, VIX futures, which then they have to what roll in the like 45 minutes later, like out of it, and they're going to be selling it to nobody. They're going to push VIX down to like, I don't know, like 10 or something or in single digits, which is the equivalent of like, you know, minus $37 per barrel of, of crude. <laughs> And should that happen, you're going to see an SPX rally of like 10% in a day, followed by a minus 10% the following day, right? And it's just going to be insanity in the markets so that have nothing to do with index fundamentals or anything like that, right? So okay. it's incredible power. So, that so is- Weston, that's
1: what you mean when you say a whiplash, is you yeah. have all of this money coming in, um, they have to sell the, the spot price, or they have to sell the, the, uh, the, the, the front month VIX future as it approaches x expiry, pushing that price down and bidding up the uh, the other one. That that causes the the market to surge. Um, but once the x expiry actually happens, you, it surges right back down. So that's that's what you might buy a whipsaw up ten percent, down down ten percent, right?
4: Right, and and just the structure of the market, the structure of these ETFs, and the structure of the fact that there are so many funds that are simply just relying on a a value at risk a VAR model that's mm-hmm. simply priced off of the VIX. They they just They have, you know, God knows how many positions um and exposures, but they just look at one figure and they say, okay, if VIX is at X, we sell Y. And if VIX is at, you know, Z, we will buy A amount or whatever it is. Then it's just oversimplified. And that's why you get these huge index level, index-wide swings on a strong retail uh figure, or whatever it may be that comes out. And then people kind of try to analyze it that way. And you know, but it's just—it's totally become a mechanical market uh, in every way, in risk management, in fund structures, in, in passive fund structures, and in, in everything.
1: Mm. Mechanical, indeed. Well, Weston, uh, as we close out this daily briefing, um, you know, this is one of just one of the very interesting things that uh, you posted this on the exchange. There's so much more on the exchange. What can you tell us uh, about that?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, so we actually just released um, our. Uh, February edition of Inside the Hive Mind of the Real Vision Exchange. It's basically a monthly publication of what's going on within the exchange. This past month, it's you know it's backward look, backwards looking. But this past month in January was the most significant month for individual investors, perhaps in you know modern history. Certainly, with not just GameStop but the entire sort of movement of it. We being a social. Platform of fi- you know discussing finance, we are very much relevant to this. Congress uh, House Financial Services Committee is meeting tomorrow discussing this with the CEO of Robinhood and and all that. This is very very topical. This is very relevant. I suggest everyone go to Real Vision's uh, uh, the Real Vision Exchange. Um, you can find it on my page, Weston Nakamura. Um, download it, read it, um, and it's really good insight. And you can get tap into the hive mind of the Real Vision Exchange.
1: Absolutely. If you like what Weston had to say and just know that he is the king of the hive mind. He's the king bee. So uh, you, get, nah. you get all that honey in the hive there mind. There are no kings.
4: There are no kings. Uh, no. I'm not a queen bee. We're all, we're all worker bees. We're all contributing bees. <laughs>
1: there we go. Well, Weston, I think this is your second time on The Daily Briefing, right? It is. It yeah, is. well, we have to have you on more often. It's, it's always great to talk to you.
4: Indeed. Thank you so much. Uh,